everybody. Welcome back to the Consummate Athlete Podcast, where we talk all about different sports, different types of training, different types of nutrition, and how to make the most out of what you have. I'm Molly Herford, and when I'm not on this podcast, I'm probably writing about similar things to this podcast or doing the things that we talk about on this podcast. And I'm Peter Glassford. I'm a registered kinesiologist and endurance coach, and you are on the Consummate Athlete Podcast. I want to see how many times we can say podcast in this intro. Mm -hmm. Um, I was actually just on the Canadian Cycling Podcast or just recorded an episode with them. And I was so impressed with the editor there, his podcast voice. I feel like I really need to up my game. I don't know if he would be the editor of the podcast, to be clear. Editor of Canadian Cycling Magazine, which, by the way, so my dad, who lives in New Jersey, um, he shares my Texture app on my iPads, or on his iPad and my iPad, um, where you get tons of different magazines, and Canadian Cycling and Canadian Runner, I forget the name exactly, I think it's Canadian Runner, are both on there, and I'm very excited because he uh, he was reading it yesterday, he's like, Oh yeah, I see you're you're in both of these. You've got the the cover of Canadian Cycling, and you've got an article in, in the running one. So Dad is Dad is pretty excited about that. What was the cover on the cycling one? Ah, uh, you would say that, and then I'm I'm now blanking on which article it was. <laughs> I write a lot of articles for them. I'm actually. That one is kind of out. I've completely forgotten about that one only because I was just talking to Matt today about the super exciting one I have coming up in their next issue. Uh, They're working on the illustrations for it. And I'm not sure if I can say what the article is about, but I'll put it this way. If everyone can read it and then let me know what they think of it when it comes out, um, I think it'll be next month. I would very much appreciate it because I think if people like this one, I'm going to turn it into a book. So feedback would be greatly appreciated. I realize that was very mysterious for a cycling article, but still. I was going to say, this is very vague. So is there is there a, a month of the magazine that people can, can look for or something? Um, it's going to be, I think, the May or the June issue. I'm not sure. It's whatever issue they're working on right now. So probably June. Yeah, I don't know how far ahead they go. It's always odd with magazines but uh ah, yeah. i did remember what my article was about actually it was how to run a training camp which is really comical that i forgot that given that all we've been doing lately is running training camps so well, maybe also, also that's what the podcast was about yeah now. exactly exactly um so i think now that we're done or i'm done with the training camps you're still in the middle of one i think i've just like struck the phrase training camp from my vocabulary because I so very badly needed a break from training camps. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, so... It is. It's. It's interesting. It's definitely one of those. I think both with going to your own sort of training camp and then also running one. It's one of those things. Like it's. I, I would not trade. I love my job and all all aspects of it. Um, but it's definitely like one of those things. Like it's. Oh, you get to ride on on your your job right or ride for your job or you're away on vacation but it's i think it's like anything right like reality sets in you know when however many days it takes five or seven or whatever and you know the fatigue starts setting in and the long days whether it's you training or you running a camp set in yeah yeah and i mean i the one girl in when we were in spain joked with me and said that she was really impressed that i wasn't angry at all and i was just like Yep, it's taken a lot. I'm not going to lie. Um, I think, you know, when you're coaching the camp, you have a lot, 
you have a lot more to do than just ride your bike because you have to also be motivational and be setting a good example. And, you know, even when you're having a, a rough day, you can't really show it. So it's, it's definitely a really, really tough thing to do sometimes. Um, and then on top of that, you and I are both obviously doing our other jobs kind of in the background, which adds its own whole set of challenges. So yeah, it's an interesting, fun thing, and I wouldn't trade it for anything, but I am so excited. You should have seen me when I walked into our condo that you're not in right now. Um, I almost kissed the floor. I was so happy to be back. Yeah, I guess it does make you appreciate that for sure. Um yeah, it was interesting. I was talking to a client today, right? And they were, it hadn't been a, a great winter, right? And I guess the, you know, that, that camp or that trip had, they've done similar, a few times similar group and, and whatnot. And they were sort of lamenting, you know, oh, I'm, you know, it's going to be um, like, almost like it would be like going to a race without that. And I was like, I mean, you're going to a training camp, like, you know, it's, it's, that's the thing you're going for, right? And And it's not going to be the same every year, but it's such a, I think that's maybe I don't even know if that's maybe that's what your podcast and your article are about, too. But, you know, that that idea that it's a training camp and it's we're always training different things. Right. Like we're never Mm -hmm. the same. We're never the same person the next year. If we were, it would be sort of odd. Right. Yeah, exactly. Um, And I think as as Ellen Noble says, uh, meet yourself where you are today. Without judgment or something. Mm -hmm. I think that was there's, there's an end piece. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think that's maybe a good thing to remember whenever someone's planning a training camp for sure. Um, and on the note of training camps, I'm super excited. Today's guest, uh, she was on back in December, Lori Netescu, a registered dietitian, professional bike racer, amazing, amazing writer, athlete. Now she has a podcast as well, the Hungry for Results podcast. Just awesome human being. So much knowledge and really practical stuff too, not just, you know, your normal we're just, you know, you're not your normal dietitian kind of uh, sci- super scientific babble. It's very relatable, and she really understands what cyclists are trying to do. But we talked briefly about training camps because I, I finally asked the question of why am I getting so bloated and feeling so heavy during these training camps? Uh, so we really got into that. Um, but before we talk about her too much, Peter, what's your one thing this week? Uh, my one thing this week is I'm away and, and I have not done this before. We got, we may, I don't think we've used it for the one thing, but we have electric toothbrushes. We made that splurge and I was quite against it, but, uh, I would not go back. Like after all these years, I'm sort of sad. I, I didn't get on the electric toothbrush earlier. Um, I tend to be very resistant to the electric toothbrush or electric like gizmos and, you know, cooking appliances and stuff. But I mean, the difference in how it feels at least. And I mean, I think my dental appointments have gone better since, but I think the, the, the one thing today is that I actually started bringing it on these, tra- these camps. I mean, this one's pretty long that I've been away, but, um, just bringing it right. Like it's sort of a pain. It's a little heavier, you know, it could get damaged. You got to charge it and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah. So I think, I mean, electric toothbrush, but then also sort of just like bring like prioritizing that, right. And bringing it with you. Mm-hmm. That's a good one, and I'm very glad I got that for you. Ten points mm-hmm. for me. It was a good <laughs> gift. I was I was very hesitant, but yeah, I remember when you opened it, you were kind of grumpy, grumpy about it. But I think I'm glad you've come around. Mm. Um, let's see, my one thing, man. 
I've, I've got to say hydration at this point, and I'm only saying it to remind myself to do it. I've had a lot of kind of back-to-back travel days and a lot of like kind of frazzled getting back to real life days. You know, I just got back from all these training camps, stopped in New Jersey briefly. That was kind of a whirlwind trip. All Sunday I was getting back home and the effects of not drinking enough are so, so apparent for me right now. Um, So I'm just trying really, really hard to remember to just keep sipping throughout the day. I've been in the really bad habit of going for a while when I'm not training, you know, where I'm just kind of on the go doing stuff and in the groove and getting work done. And then suddenly I'm like, wait, I haven't taken a drink in, you know, three hours. (laughs) And that's not a that's no way to live. Yeah, it gets tough, right? Uh, especially if folks are drinking juice and tea and coffee and everything else, it can go quite a while without getting just clear water. And I mean, that stuff all is additive to it, but um, certainly we can all do with some, or I shouldn't say all, I'm sure there's some people out there who are drinking their water and a, a great intake, but good for them. Hmm. <laughs> and actually, uh, so Lori Nedeski, today's guest, and I actually kind of joint recorded. We recorded an episode for us, and we recorded an episode for her new podcast, The Hungry for Results podcast. And it was me talking about sort of some of our travel nutrition and strategies that we've worked out for when we're on the road a lot. And even on that one, you know, when she asked what the most important thing is for me in terms of my on road nutrition, I immediately jumped to hydration. Um, because, you know, in the car as well, it's super easy for me to sip a lot of coffee, but not a lot of clear water. So trying to make that a priority. Fair enough. Yeah, so it's a super interesting conversation. We touch on a bunch of different points around racing, a huge discussion about race weight that I think everyone should definitely listen to, and a really cool kind of talk with a registered dietitian about the you know, when a, a new study comes out and suddenly headlines about it are everywhere, but the headlines are kind of misinformed and will freak you out. There is just one that came out about eggs being linked to uh, like higher mortality risk, and it's kind of a crazy, weird study, but a lot of news outlets jumped right on to stop eating eggs. Uh, so we talk about why that is kind of false information, and it's a super fun episode, mainly because I love eggs. Yeah, that was a not great study. Like, I think even if you just have basic understanding of uh, statistics and how, like, study design, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think it. I don't even think this was like one of those ones you had to like really think through, like what it's saying. Um, yeah, yeah. So we we talked about that, and you know that's kind of the hook, but it's also about how every time we see a study, even when it seems really rational, it's still worth going and looking. And I saw a lot of this when I was writing about intermittent fasting for outside. You know, there's so many studies done on eight or nine people that are in this, you know, morbidly obese population kind of things that are saying, this is why you lose weight. And it was the same with coconut oil. Um, So many studies done on these you know, very tiny groups and then taken completely out of context. So it's a cool, it's a cool discussion. So yeah, let's dive in. Enjoy this conversation with Lori Nedeskew. First of all, Lori, thanks for coming back on the show. We had so much good feedback last time you were on. So I'm really stoked to to talk more. Well, 
that's exciting to hear. I'm glad it went over well. I know I had a fun time chatting the first time, so I'm really excited to be back on. Yeah, I feel like that first time when we talked, it was just like, this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. And it has exactly. been. <laughs> and we got to meet up like in person. That was so nice. I know. And so that was when you were just getting back from Redlands. So we have to start with just how did your first race of the season, I guess second race of the season, first major race of the season go? Uh, Yeah, Redlands was hard as it's expected to be, Um, but it was awesome. It was so fun to just get back into it and kind of have that pain set in the legs again and feel that intensity because it's just something you can't replicate in your basement on the trainer. So it was great to be outside with other people and, and just getting that feeling back. Um, so the results weren't spectacular, um, but my team as a whole did really well. So I'm super proud of Femikeep for bringing it and looking, um, onto the future and Joe Martin stage races in just a week now. So I'm excited to move on to race number two. It's really hard to believe that it's been a week since I saw you and you were just getting back from Redlands. It feels like that was two seconds ago. Um, how do you handle the whole ebb and flow of the season where it's just like one race just goes right into the next. I mean, I know a lot of it's like preseason prep, but how are you surviving? Yeah. I mean, that's really what it is, is survival. And you just kind of kick in to like, just banging it out one after the other. And it's really about managing the recovery and, you know, without losing too much. So you have to kind of recover, but still, keep the legs fresh, still put a little bit of hurt in them to go on to the next. And a lot of that is, you know, being super well rested, being really positive and eating really well. So Mm -hmm. trying to manage all those things. Yeah. So I wanted to kind of dive into that a little bit. How, what does eating well during the season look like for you? And I mean, I want to talk race day versus every day, but in, you know, say this recovery week type situation, you know, what are you really focusing on? What's super important from a nutritional standpoint? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And race season, you know, it varies a lot from like normal healthy eating and off season Mm -hmm. eating. Uh, Yeah, big time. Because I tell people, if you look at my diet during race season, you would think I'm not a dietitian and I hate vegetables. uh, Because it's so, (laughs) right, because it's so centered on like, carbohydrates and refueling my body and meeting the carbon protein requirements, you know, that I need to get recovered well and to have energy for each training session and the race um, and, you know, lessening the burden of hard digestion. And that means lessening the amount of vegetables I eat um, because that roughage, while I love it and it's delicious, it doesn't help provide energy to race. So Mm -hmm. I really stick with a lot of simple foods, a lot of carbohydrates, um, and things that I can travel easily with. Um, So that's definitely, you know, during the race block, I choose those simpler foods. And then when I get time, like a full week of recovery, I get to add in a little bit more vegetables. I get to go back to my big salads and kind of take that breather um, and then really just quickly transition back into the rice, the eggs, maple syrup, the oats, you know, all those standard foods. I think the best part about racing is by the end of a big race, you just want a damn salad. You're like craving salad and it's hilarious. 
Yeah, and it's so true. And and you really should limit salads. And I just talked about this recently um, with Stephanie Sidlick about our salad ban, as I call it. I love um, it. Because, right, because I don't want any athlete to eat salad during the race week because you, you just don't need it. Mm-hmm. And then exactly like you just said, at the end of that race, you know, after that last stage, all you want is that like refreshing bowl of greens because you're so burnt out on eating, you know, simple sugars. You don't want sport drink. You don't want gel. You don't want to look at another bowl of rice. Um, and it never feels so good to eat a salad. Yeah, exactly. Um, and I mean, as far as recovery goes, where are you on protein and all that kind of stuff? Is that something you pay particular attention to or you just kind of assume you get it with decent, well-balanced meals? So both, um, after a workout, after a hard training and a race, I definitely believe it's important to immediately recover with some carbohydrates and protein. Mm -hmm. So that immediate source is definitely something that I pay attention to and make sure I get it in. It might just be a simple glass of chocolate milk. It might be a protein shake. Um, and then as far as the rest of the day, I don't really count grams. I'm I'm sure that my diet is pretty varied. I include plant and animal sources of protein. So I never feel like I'm not getting enough. Mm-hmm. So I've, I've been actually working on a couple of articles that sort of center around like a well-balanced meal or in one case, a well-balanced big salad. So I was wondering if you could maybe kind of talk about that. Like if you're, you know, kind of in the kitchen, you start with a just big bowl or a big plate how do you, what's, do you have like a formula for how to fill that to make like a satisfying and like well-rounded meal? Yeah. So pretty much just include all of the food groups. Um, so you have your, a lot of vegetables, like that's the base when it's a big salad. But again, we're talking about salads that are big meals and complete meals and meals that need to fuel an athlete. So you don't just want like your side Olive Garden, like green salad, right? <laughs> Gotta yeah. boost it up. Like, like that's not filling anyone up. So it needs to be. You start with those greens. Add in what other, any other like colorful vegetables that you want, whether it's peppers, carrots, you know, broccoli, whatever. And then you need a grain. So sometimes I really like sprouted brown rice. Sometimes it's um, if I want a lighter carbohydrate, I'll use like baked squash or sweet potato. Or sometimes I'll throw in like a chickpea pasta to have more fiber and a little bit of carbohydrates and protein. Mm. Once you have that base, you can move on to the protein aspect. So maybe it's baked tofu or tempeh, maybe it's chicken, salmon, um, whatever your protein choice is. But you have to make sure that all those boxes are checked. Um, And those are like the basic three. Uh, And then a dressing or avocado definitely need to have a little bit of that fat on there to make it satisfying and that fat helps absorb fat soluble vitamins so it's definitely a vital part mm-hmm. and then I think something a lot of people forget about is like the extras that can really help put that meal over the top as far as nutrition is concerned like put some nutritional yeast on there put some sesame seeds some sunflower seeds chopped nuts um you know, even a little bit of dried fruit if you're looking to boost the carbohydrate amount. But all those like little additions are going to fill in the gaps of those uh, micronutrients that we don't get super frequently in like an athlete kind of diet. 
that mm-hmm. might be a little bit more limited. So definitely take that handful of nuts and seeds and extras and toss it on there. Love it. And so this actually kind of brings me back to the race week, you know, when you're not doing the big salad and you're just doing a lot of like the rice and the eggs and stuff, you know, it's a little worrisome in terms of your actual like vitamins and all of that. Do you do any supplements or do you just know, okay, you know what, this is a week, I'm going to go back to everything. So it's not like you're going to be that low because you know, you're going back to a super healthy diet when it's over. Right. So when it's only a week, when it's a short period of time, your body can kind of fill in those gaps. You're not going to develop any type of deficiency immediately. Yeah. You know, the big things are the macronutrients for that week and overall energy consumption. But, you know, you're not going to develop a zinc or copper deficiency in that one week span. Yeah. So don't, yeah, don't really have to be super concerned about it. But taking a multivitamin each day is a good way just to kind of cover those bases um, and make sure that you're you're consistently getting a little bit of the of a wide range of macro and micronutrients. Um, and then you know you have to make sure that you do return to a healthy varied balanced diet after the races Mm -hmm. I think that's the key right like if you're kind of eating like crap beforehand you're going to be in trouble if you eat like crap during it's it's kind of about getting back to a good healthy (laughs) exactly I mean you have to be honest with yourself right know Mm -hmm. where your diet is if you're going from fast food and then into a race block of all bowls of rice then you might need to worry about that more. You might need some more supplements. But, you know, if you're doing the salads, if you're doing colorful vegetable stir fries and having that big amount of variety um, away from races, then when you get into those five days of racing, you're going to be okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to say, so when I saw you last week, you actually appeared to be very healthy. Um, I don't think I've ever done a race, like a stage race like that and not immediately gotten sick as soon as it was finished. Any tips for avoiding that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I was surprised by the amount of people who like dropped out of Redlands due to developing like a cold during the race. So I think there was you know, that's definitely true that when you're racing and if you're bringing your body to that brink, you're, you're at the line of just, you might get sick. Hopefully you don't, but it's very possible. Your immune system is definitely lowered. So going into the race with a lot of antioxidants in the diet could be helpful. Um, making sure that you're doing a lot of berries, maybe some smoothies, keeping your energy intake high, um, is definitely kind of the biggest thing. Cause once you, once you're limiting the calories that you consume, that's when your body starts to break down too much. Mm-hmm. So definitely keeping that up. Um, yeah, I felt pretty healthy. I feel healthy coming out of it. So I think I'm a, a lot of that is like peaking. And this is something that a lot of people don't think about is like when you train your you train your body fitness wise and physically to peak at a certain time. And the same is true with nutrition. You should really be varying your nutrition and kind of peaking it and peaking weight loss or leanness or whatever that is for your goals at a certain time. If you're trying to do that for each and every race and you're going into it like at that limit, you're going to probably get sick. You're going to be chronically unhealthy and probably see some problems and not reach your performance goals. So for me, you know, this is the early season 
I'm going to be towing that line a little bit more come like end of June. Mm-hmm. So, and that's something that you have to kind of set yourself up for and yeah. know. This is a hilariously perfect because my next question is basically about race weight. I mean, okay, first of all, I want to talk about it for thinking about it in terms of like your career and so more like professional career. Race weight, pros and cons of getting to a race weight. Yeah, great question. Race weight is it's something that's really on everybody's mind, right? Exactly. It's, it's unavoidable. Don't no matter talk about it. Yeah, no matter like who you are, you know, you could be like your first 5k and you're going to end up seeing an article in some magazine about race weight. Like right, or you get to the line and look around and it's instantly like it comes to mind, right? Exactly. And, and we all we know it's important and that's just the truth of it. Like getting to a race weight whatever that means for you as an individual um you're you're probably likely to perform a little bit better at a lower weight for most sports, especially running and cycling. Um, especially if you are a climber in cycling. So it it matters, but it's also something that you don't want to take too quickly. You don't want to do it in a way that's not well thought out. So losing five pounds because you didn't eat well for a week or you had the stomach flu or you're super dehydrated <laughs> is not the way, right, is not the way to obtain your race weight. Um, and then, you know, you want to think it, think it through. Um, And part of this is knowing what your race weight is. And I find that a lot of athletes don't really know what their real race weight should be. And that's something that you get over experience and over time, Mm -hmm. um, because you might hit a weight that's a little bit too low, and not feel as strong, not feel like you have the energy to perform at your best, and then gaining weight might be helpful. So don't go in with this mentality that you need to weigh X because that just might not be the best number for you. You know, think of it more as the complete picture of body fat, overall weight. How do you feel? What's your energy? What's your mood? Um, Because those are all super important factors. Yeah, no, I love that. And in terms of weight, you know, some people kind of think of race weight as like, so if you're like a total noob or like, you know, just generic, relatively out of shape person kind of getting in shape, you hear race weight and you think about it as being just like, you know, this super, super low number. Is there like when we talk about race weight, can we actually like back up and say we're not talking about losing like 80 pounds ahead of race season? Race weight for professionals is usually what, like five to 10 pounds, maybe? Yeah, it's usually within about 5% of your off-season weight. So it's really a small fluctuation. And when you're down to that elite pro level, you're pretty dialed in. So, And that's what makes it extra difficult to like shave off those last few pounds and extra taxing on your body. Because, again, it's not that 80 pounds. It's not you don't have a ton to lose. You're working like right at that limit, right at your body's limit of what you can perform really well on and what is going to make you crash and burn. Mm -hmm. So for the, the average Joe who say isn't, isn't in that like elite, I need to lose that 5%. I mean, does race weight even apply or should we just kind of try to just keep that healthy trajectory for the whole year and maybe not think about it in terms of race weight because we're probably far enough over it that we're not. 
Yeah, I'd say if you're a new athlete, if you're a recreational athlete, your quality of life and fitness level is going to be enhanced by having a healthier diet overall and Mm -hmm. not really worrying about losing weight per se. Having a healthy lifestyle because you're now into fitness and you want to eat better, that might translate into weight loss if you are someone who needs to lose weight, but it might not. And you might be able to run or ride just fine and perform the way that you feel good performing without putting the stress of weight loss on yourself. Exactly. And when you're a normal like nine to five kind of person and, you know, maybe have a family and are trying to train, I feel like you don't really need that added freak out of like, okay, it's February or it's March now. I've got to lose 10 pounds by May or all is lost. (laughs) No, no, that that athlete should definitely spend more time worrying about how they can eat in a way that helps them perform better. So maybe it's how to bring better lunches to the office, how to have a better snack before getting on their training session um, and fueling, you know, the day to day plus their activity goals, but not be pressured into like just focusing on weight loss because mm-hmm. a lot of people could get depressed doing that you know it's not a fun thing to rapidly lose a lot of weight Um, you can have a higher risk of injury of illness and for most athletes going diving into the race weight area too hard is just not worth it yeah exactly thank you I'm very glad we got to (laughs) we got to put this on the record (laughs) because I mean I know even for me it's it's super tempting but then I know as soon as I start kind of going down that road, like I can almost see within like 12 hours that my training is just suffering because I've never figured out what my formula is for being able to lose that, you know, last five pounds, we'll say. Yeah. And that's a great point is, you know, if you are trying to lose weight, if you're trying to get down to whatever you think is your best performance weight, monitoring your power, your pace during that weight loss is key because if those numbers start to suffer, then what's the point? What are you doing it for? Right. Exactly. Your goal is to perform really well. So that's, that's the ultimate goal. And that should be the measure of your success. Um, If losing weight, a little bit of weight in a slow manner is helping those numbers improve, then you're doing it in the right way. Yes. Awesome. Um, this kind of leads neatly into the the question I wanted to ask, which is what's the worst nutrition advice that you've ever heard, whether it's someone told you to do it or like a client came in and said, yeah, I was told to do X, Y, Z, because I'm sure you've heard a lot of, a lot of winners on this. Oh gosh. I mean, it's endless. The, the crazy nutrition tips that are out there. I know. Um, (laughs) I don't know know if anything's coming to mind specifically, but I just saw like somebody's Strava Strava title on a ride the other day that was like, new coach and prescribed a two hour fasting ride. And it was like, um, like why? And, and this is for a a more recreational athlete. And I think it's just like, oh, that hurts. Right. So things like that. Um, I did have a client who went to a different um, like weight loss plan or it was actually a performance um, nutrition coaching program I guess is the right word like kind of a blanket program Mm -hmm. and it was very like carbohydrate controlled 
Um, so I think, I think a lot of people victimize the carbs when, and when it comes to endurance athletes, that's definitely not the right approach. Just this morning on Instagram, I saw somebody post on saying that women eat too many carbohydrates, like women athletes. And I was just like, wait, what? Because that's just not true. So it's really hard. Yeah, it's so hard to like sift through the bad advice because there's just so much of it. Mm-hmm. And I think you kind of hear what you want to hear. So on a, on this last camp that we did, um, one of the girls was saying, we asked, you know, like, what do you do after a race? And the one girl was like, our coach told us to like eat a chocolate bar. And after much digging, we realized <laughs> the coach had said the phrase, you need to eat something after your race. I don't care if it's a chocolate bar, if that's what's around. <laughs> right. And I mean, that's true. It, it's better to eat something than, than nothing. Exactly. It's, it's, it's a part of like, you have to know your audience. And if your audience is going to interpret that as like a bag of chips or a bar of chocolate and take that to heart, then you need to do a little bit more detailed explanation. Yeah, it was so funny because it was just like, this was the gospel. And then (laughs) when you broke it down, you realized like, wait a second, the coach didn't actually say that. (laughs) He said something like that, but not quite. (laughs) Too funny. Um, And actually, uh, you and I were talking about this just the other day. studies can also end up being wildly misleading um especially when interpreted by journalists and i'll put myself in this category who (laughs) are not scientists and you know are really just seeing the headlines and to be fair the scientists are rather like the pr department of the university or place that's putting out the studies does like the pr does tend to say you know xyz dramatic thing um that gets taken out of context even further by the journalists trying to scoop a story Um, yeah i mean the way a study is put out to the public is very hard to interpret so if you've ever looked at a journal title right it just calls out like the most startling phrases and kind of lumps them all in it doesn't even really make sense for the most part and then you know you get the abstract and then one line of conclusion so they're gonna throw whatever was like the best result or the most significant result and most people just read that little like paragraph of like the quick overview of what this study was and have no idea of how to interpret well who was actually studied how long were they studied what was actually looked at, you know, and, and those things can all play such an important role. And unfortunately, for nutrition studies, it's so difficult to look at how one food or one key nutrient affects a person, because we have to take into account stress levels and sleep and recovery and activity levels and age and weight and gender, because all of these things they work together. Mm-hmm. So I really, it's a really big peeve of mine when studies come out and they're taken as victimizing a food and like calling out one food or nutrient, because usually that's, that's not looking at the whole picture. Yeah. So the, the most recent offender was the one on eggs. Could you, yes. could you dive into that one a little bit? Give us the, like the scoop. I was trying to think of yeah. a good egg pun there and I lost it. <laughs> 
Um, yeah, I can I can give you the yolk of it. Break um, it down. Yeah. Right. Oh gosh, this is gonna get bad. Let's let's so, crack this thing wide open. Oh gosh. <laughs> and podcast done. We just lost the whole audience. I'll, I'll see myself out. <laughs> um. Yeah. So that study came out and instantly made headlines of because eggs have been under fire for years, for mm-hmm. decades, right? And I don't really understand even where this originated of eggs being so bad. But, you know, in the 90s when we hated fat, right? Fat was terrible for us and we only ate egg whites. And then in every study was like, oh, eggs are bad because they have cholesterol. And then just recently eggs became good again because that cholesterol doesn't affect our, our actual heart condition and there's so many good nutrients in an egg yolk. So it's gone back and forth for a while now. And this recent study kind of came back to saying eggs are terrible, don't eat eggs, and actually said that any amount of egg you eat, full egg, increases your all-cause mortality. So any disease, anything, you're, go- you're more at risk of dying if you eat an egg, I think they even measured like every half egg, which I don't even know how you measured that, but a half <laughs> egg, extra half egg you eat, like over two eggs per week, increase your risk of like all cause mortality, which is crazy. It's just um, not yeah. something you can really look at and not something that you can say that everyone is at risk of more death of any kind of any disease just because of consuming an egg it's just not that's not a thing so I I really liked it I think there was a runner's world like article that kind of went around probably from numerous publications but kind of jumped on this immediately of of breaking it down so that's a good one to search out if you want to kind of read more about this study but kind of broke it down more about hey, wait, not so fast, you know, Um, because the general public just sees the headline of, oh, eggs are going to kill you. Nobody's diving into that like 20 page journal article because it's boring to read. It's in very scientific terms. And we just kind of jump on that headline. Um, So I really was disappointed to see that one come out because it just, again, victimizes one certain food when you can't say that you know, if somebody is a total vegan and then adds like one, you know, two eggs a week beyond being a vegan, that their risk is just as bad as someone who eats fast food and three eggs a day. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so much that it doesn't take into account. Um, and it goes off of people's recall, which is a big issue for nutrition studies because they ask people like, oh, how many eggs did you eat over the course of the last year? <laughs> who knows? I don't know how many I had this week. And you also have to consider eggs are in cake mixes, eggs are in yeah, like some pasta, you know, there's so much more that goes into that than just saying, oh, I ate two eggs this week. So, so I, I just can't get behind studies like that. And also, I just still don't understand why the egg is so victimized. Because uh, yes, it has cholesterol, but so does a serving of fish or shrimp. Shrimp is a very high cholesterol food. And I've yet to see a study come out and say that eating a serving of shrimp a day is going to kill you. So, 
Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy, especially because it, like in my in my personal opinion anyway, like eggs are kind of maybe one of like the most nutrition like nutritionally dense foods that you can really go for. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, it has good protein and good fat. They're very satisfying. They're very affordable. I mean, mm-hmm. I would definitely say if you have the ability to get a pasture raised egg, that's the best way to go. But I mean, even your basic egg is providing you with a lot of nutrition um, and it's easy to use. It's versatile. You can have an egg sandwich. I had an egg sandwich for lunch today and I feel very good about that egg sandwich. So no regrets. <laughs> I am definitely team pro egg. Yeah, exactly. Like to me, switching to eggs for breakfast over my, you know, former like oatmeal with brown sugar and peanut butter was maybe like the best thing I've ever done because it gets me all of that plus a serving of vegetables because I always do spinach in mine. Like, I think it was like the best nutritional decision I made. Right. So I would say, you know, look at these studies, see what's going on out there. But that doesn't mean you have to change your diet instantly because something like this comes out because next week there will be a study that just says the complete opposite yeah exactly um and are there any sites or sources that you can recommend as far as ones that actually reasonably report studies there aren't many that i can think of because i mean some you get some like runner's world that like hits it out of the park with one thing um, but then you can probably point to 10 things that they've done that were kind of clickbaity, oh, yeah. headliney. Absolutely. Um, I, I mean, the best thing you can do is actually read the research. And I know that's a big task. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a fun task. But if you're really interested in something, yeah, definitely click the link. And if you're reading articles that don't have some studies or research behind them, you know, ask a question or maybe go find a st- uh, article that actually has, you know, research put in there and cited. Yeah, definitely. Um, okay, well, eggs are at the top of my list for this next question. But what are a few of your since you live on the road, and I know you probably have to do the same thing I do, you get to a new place, there's nothing there, you have your food box in the van. But what's what are like the things that you will always get at the grocery store? What are your like five to 10, like go to pantry or like restock staples? Yeah, so I definitely have kind of a repetitive list that I travel with because it's easy when you make the same things when you're on the road, you yep. can't just carry around your whole kitchen. Um, so oh, yeah, eggs are definitely key. Um, milk. I always get milk when I'm somewhere new and I always carry the like super ultra pasteurized organic like milk boxes with me. So I'm a big fan of those. Um, They're easy to travel with. Sprouted brown rice. And I do travel with a rice cooker, like a little portable one. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's it's just a must have. So So, good. (laughs) um, Oats, maple syrup. Um, I always travel with salt. So I have a salt yeah. shaker. I oh my have, gosh. Like, three, yes. Three varieties of salt with me, which is, is a little overboard, but salt is important. Uh, and let's see. I think those are like the, the biggest that I like cannot go without. And then I always have some protein powder on hand. And then when I go to the store, when I am somewhere new, I always like fill in with the vegetables and the more perishable things. Oh, canned tuna. 
the Wild Planet canned Ooh. tuna, um, which is a very sustainable brand, is one of my favorites as well mm-hmm. to have. Yeah, yep. I love that one. And when you when you do hit for the fruit and vegetables, what are what are your most like nutrient dense, like best bang for your buck options? Yeah. Um, and again, I think, you know, keeping your list small is the best way to do it. Um, keeps you focused uh, and keeps the grocery bill for not getting out of hand. Mm-hmm. And so bananas are key. Bananas are super cheap. They're easy to digest, good carbohydrates. And then spinach or mixed greens definitely get the big tub. Um, and beets. Beets and probably squash. Those are probably my main vegetables. And then fruit depends on the season. Mm -hmm. Always have bananas on hand. But beyond that, whatever is seasonal and on sale is might be blueberries, might be peaches, you know, I'll I'll grab that. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And then best, like, to just kind of round this round this talk out best nutrition advice that you were ever given that was like game changing for you or like something or and or something that you told a client that turned out to be like a game changer for them ooh so yeah game changers are definitely going to be i feel like when you get that light bulb moment it's something that was so personal um for for me, I think it was like the salad ban. And mm-hmm. I went into the stage races early on, you know, eating my normal like big bowls of salad. I wanted to be light. I wanted to, you know, be lean throughout the race. And of course, salad is so good for you. But once I took that out, I was able to have so much more energy. I was sleeping better because my digestion was better. So I definitely think the salad ban was like key. Um Something that really clicked with a client recently was looking at the sport drink that they were consuming. Um, Because I think a lot of people, a lot of athletes will just take a scoop and put it in their bottle and not really look Mm -hmm. at what's in it. And they vary so much. I think people don't realize how much sport drinks vary from drink to drink. One might have a mere 25 calories in it and another one might be 250 mm-hmm. and those settle in your gut much differently. So, you know, being able to find the right blend that works for you is super important um, to your performance. Yeah, definitely. Um, and that one actually, I, I lied when I said that was my last question because that made me think of one <laughs> and I'm, I'm now wondering if I lied to these girls, but I'd like to get your take on it. So during a, a very big training camp, you know, it was two weeks long, like long, long rides, big endurance. Um, halfway through the girls were complaining, you know, that they were actually like gaining weight or like feeling, feeling chunky or bloated, um, and you know, they're like, Oh, like, should I eat less? And I was like, absolutely not. Don't do that. Please don't do that. Um, so they, they kept eating and I, I promised them that after the training camp, when they like decreased their volume, they would probably see like a drop in that like bloated thing. Can you explain why that happens during these intense training things? Cause you reminded me of it when you were talking about salads and racing, I find during stage races in particular, I think I walk out of them at least five pounds heavier than I went in. It's- yeah. And if you did that, you're probably doing it right. Because, <laughs> yeah. And I know it's kind of like the opposite of what you think should happen. But I think the easiest way for people to think about it is 
for like a marathon, you go into it with a carb load, right? Mm -hmm. And that carbohydrate load, which you should be doing for for cycling races as well, um, but I think it's more understood in the running community. Uh, But that carbohydrate load requires extra water storage. So when you're putting so many carbs in your body, you're holding on to extra water, you're going to weigh more. That's just how it works. Mm-hmm. That weight will go away. And especially you're you're also having more salt in the body, which you should be consuming more salt. So you're retaining more water overall. Um, that's good. So if you're doing that, that means you probably have enough carbohydrates to burn throughout that event on the flip side if you're seeing like just this random swelling like throughout an endurance event there is a chance that it could be hyponatremia and you're not consuming enough salt so that's definitely something to pay attention to if you're you know out on a really hot sunny day for a long period of time you're someone who sweats very heavily and when you sweat there's a lot of like visible salt on you Mm-hmm. Um, so you definitely want to make sure that you're replenishing those salt needs during the ride um, because that can cause that immediate like acute swelling. Um, but mm-hmm. that chronic bloat and heavy feeling after and throughout a race is indicative of you have proper carbohydrate stores to go into it. You know, you don't want to go in to the race and step on the scale and be like, oh, I was t- like two pounds lighter than I was the night before, because that means you're doing something wrong. Like you did not yeah. replenish yourself enough. Oh, yes. Okay. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad I gave them the proper information. I've been <laughs> you did like, not, yeah. you did didn't not lie. Up those girls. It's fine. <laughs> I was just like, I, I honestly, I would have lied to them anyway. I'll say that on the record <laughs> because I didn't want anyone to start like feeling nervous, like they shouldn't be eating and kind of going in the exact opposite direction yeah. of them not eating enough and like bonking on rides or like, you know, just getting into really unhealthy patterns. So Right. A big training camp is never the time to start limiting your food intake. Yet for some reason, a lot of people tend to pick the, I was just talking about this on another podcast. Some people, like so many people tend to like think, oh, good base training camp. This is the camp I'm going to get down to race weight and lose weight. And I'm always like, no, this is not the time. <laughs> Please don't do it now. I think it's just because it's that heightened focus on Mm -hmm. how you're riding and you're kind of diving in and you get to be that athlete for a week or however long your camp is. Mm -hmm. Um, So you get to focus more on the food. But yeah, make sure you're focusing it on the right way. Um, You can lose weight outside of the camp, outside of the race season. um, But during, you know, you want to be making sure that your body is fueled. Exactly. Awesome. All right. Before we wrap up, tell everyone where they can find you because it is a different place than last time. Yes. So I have a little name change and you can now find me at hungryforresults.com for lots of articles and fun recipes on the web. And then on Instagram, check me out at at hungryforresults. Amazing. Thank you so much. As always, it was great chatting with you. This was so much fun. Yeah, it was great. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for tuning into the Consummate Athlete Podcast. Uh, you can check out my stuff over at theoutdooredit.com or by following me on Instagram and Twitter at Molly J. Herford. And you can check out Peter's coaching, training plans, blogs, all that fun stuff over at smartathlete.ca or by following him on Twitter and Instagram at Peter Glassford. 
And if you want to support this show and other awesome podcasts, please check out WideAnglePodium.com for show info, other podcasts, bonus content, and to become a donating member so you can get all of that rad behind-the-scenes content and help keep shows like this on the air. And lastly, if you're enjoying this podcast and all the information that we're bringing to you every single week, uh, do us a solid and pop into iTunes to leave us a rating and review. It takes you about two seconds. You can do it on your computer. You can do it on your phone. And it really helps us out. Thanks so much, and we will see you next week. 